Hey there, my friends, and welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Today is episode number 117. Welcome. I'm your host. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I am the author of The Made From Scratch Life and the new book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made From Scratch Living, and the host of this, the Pioneering Today podcast, where I inspire your faith in pioneer roots using old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets for a modern world. On today's episode, I thought it would be kind of fun to walk you through the steps that we go through and the steps that we use as we are getting ready to progress from fall into the winter months. Many of you know, and if you are a new listener, welcome. We live on a fully functioning homestead. So here in the Pacific Northwest of Washington State in the North Cascade Mountain Range, my husband and our two kiddos, we live on 15 acres We have our own beef cattle. We raise our own pork. We have our flock of laying hens, so meaning they are my girls that give me the eggs every day. And then we also raise and butcher our own meat chickens. We've got a big old vegetable garden, fruit trees, all of that fun stuff. And we raise all of ours with as much pasture and organic and grass-fed means when it comes to our livestock and then of course organic practices when it comes to our fruits and our vegetables. I've been getting quite a few questions lately on livestock. So the tips that I'm going to share with you today are actually going to range all the way through from livestock to the garden and raising your own food and then we're going to go in a little bit to home care. So Even if you're not raising livestock, but it's something that's on your radar that you want to get going with, or you've got a garden, these tips, and anybody who has a house, okay, these tips are going to help you and kind of give you a checklist of things to run through or things that you know moving into when you get your livestock that you're going to be needing to do. And I thought it would just kind of give you a look into what we're doing this time of year. First up, when we start to move into the fall and the winter months, one of the main things that we make sure that we do is we start to look at our animals. Specifically for our beef cattle, we have to make sure that we have got all of our hay put up. Now, really, fall is not the time that you're going to be just starting to look at what you need to get your animals through the winter, especially if you're raising livestock like beef cattle or if you've got horses, things that eat hay and a large quantity of it for the winter months, you really need to have your hay sources lined up and squared away the beginning of summertime, though you may be, when you get into those second and third cuttings, if the weather is good enough and provides that of the haying. And what I mean by that is first cutting is the very first time that the grass is tall enough and ripe enough to be cut for hay. That's your first cutting, so it's the first harvest of hay. And then you've got your fields, and the second cutting is, just like it sounds, what you get when after you have mowed down and created hay from that first cutting. Second cutting is what you get when it has grown more and reached the point where you can get another cutting of hay from it. Depending upon the length of growing seasons, the type of grass, you know, all that kind of thing, sometimes you'll get third cuttings, but usually first and second cuttings, at least in this area of the country where we live, where the majority of the growing season happens mid to end of May and then goes through about the end of September. So we need to look at our hay and make sure that we've got enough. And if not, Make sure that we can find some extra. And if you don't have enough hay to get your animals through the winter, then you're going to need to be looking at butchering more. 
if you've got more herd, then you've got feed. That's the first thing that we do is we assess our feed and make sure that we've got enough. And if we don't have enough, if we're wanting to cull or to bring the size of our herd down, then we'll be scheduling with the butcher to include some extra animals beyond what we would just be harvesting just for our own needs of meat-wise to get us through the whole year. For us, with the size of our family, like I said, we've got pork. We usually keep a half to one full pig for ourselves, and that's enough pork to take us through the entire year. We do about 15 whole meat birds. And if you want to learn more about raising your own meat and how many we do, I've got some previous episodes and in the show notes, I will link to those so that you can go back if you're interested in those specific areas. To find the show notes and all of the written stuff and the goodies, go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button. This is episode number 117. And then look in the resource section and I'll have all those links for you. So we look at our feed. Next up, We don't have a barn, so that is not something that we have been able to afford, and we don't want to put anything else on debt or on loan. So a barn is not something that we have, and you can definitely raise your own animals without having a barn. There's ways to do it. So we have a shed for the pigs in the pig pen that they can go in to get out of the weather, out of the rain, and when it's really cold. The chickens, of course, have their coop. And then for our cattle, we've got some different shelter areas around our property. We've got some wooded area where we've got the evergreens so they can get under that when it's really heavy snow or a lot of rain coming out. We have got some pasture elevation changes. So if there's a lot of wind coming, they can go down to that bottom pasture and snuggle up right at the bottom of that bank and then the wind kind of goes over top of their backs. So we've got some different areas like that for the cattle that they can go to get in and out of the weather. But one of the things that we have to take a look at is we need to look at our pigs. We are not butchering for another four to five weeks and pigs do not have fur, right? They've got some hair on them, but they don't have a lot of fur. They are not meant for really cold weather. They'll get cold. Part of the problem if they start to get cold is then they can get sick very easily. They can get pneumonia or they can start to get sick from the cold. Another thing that's not good is if you're planning on butchering these pigs, when they get cold and the weather turns really cold, if they get cold, they are going to start burning through the feed that you are feeding them in order to keep warm, which means your feed costs go up and they will start to lose weight. We're planning on butchering about mid-November. The weather is starting to turn here. We are having a warm fall. We've had a couple of light frosts, but overall it's still been pretty decent out. But one of the things that we're looking at is once we start to get those really cold days where it's not warming up with the sun coming out and those really cold night temperatures and hard freezes, is we will have to put a heat lamp in with our pigs up until it's time to butcher. Now for our chickens, we do not use heat lamps for the chickens. They have got a nice insulated coop. They've got all their feathers and we prefer to let our chickens follow more of the way God intended or nature intended when he created them, their life cycle. And that's to give them a break in the winter time from laying eggs. Because as they get those shorter daylight hours, they will naturally stop producing eggs. It gives their body a rest from doing the egg production. We just choose not to use the heat lamp. There's dangers associated with heat lamps in a coop. You can have fires and that type of thing. And also where we live here in the Pacific Northwest, we lose power quite often. And when we lose power, then they lose their heat lamp. So because the pigs are going to be butchered soon, the heat lamp's not going to be on them for an extreme portion of time. 
we will use the heat lamp for them. But with the chickens, and I'm specifically talking about our laying hens, because the meat chickens we raise for 12 weeks in the summertime, and then they're butchered. They're not something we winter over. But with our laying hens, if we put a heat lamp in now and they get used to it being warm, they don't become acclimated to those colder temperatures gradually as they do as just the seasons change. If the power goes out and it's out for extended periods of time, they are going from being used to being warmed into boom, extreme temperatures really quick. And so that's another reason that we don't use a heat lamp for our chicken. So we just make sure that they've got good insulation in their coop. Our coop is movable, and so we also make sure that it is facing the sun, so we take advantage of the biggest part that we can of heat source during the wintertime, and that's the sun when it comes out. We also make sure that the coop door is arranged away from the direction that our winter winds come in so that it's not sneaking in through the door. Those are some things that we look at and make sure that we have done for our animals. Another thing that we do for our animals, and this is going to depend upon the breeding cycle that you get in, but with our cattle, we breed back our mom cows so that they will have another baby and so that we've always got at least a couple of cows coming up so that we can butcher every year. We breed those back. So with their breeding cycle, I've got two of my cows that need to be bred back now in order for them to calve next year. A cow's cycle of being pregnant, their gestation period is very similar to that of a human. It's about nine months. We're going to breed them now, and then they will have their babies early summer. Some of the things that we line up, we don't keep a bull on our property. We have a pretty small herd, so we don't keep a bull here. We are fortunate enough that I've got a brother and a dad and some neighbors that do keep bulls, but we still have to get in and make sure that we've arranged for that bull to come or for us to take our cows to that bull. So looking at your breeding schedules is something that we definitely do in the fall to make sure that we've got those crops, (laughs) for lack of another term, ready to go in continuation to keep our food harvest and self-sufficiency with raising our own meat going. In regards to animal readiness and the cold temperatures, another thing that I like to make sure is I like to pull out, we have a main stock tank that the cattle drink out of. We already have frost free, is to pull out our stock tank water heater and make sure one, that we know where it is and two, that it's in good condition. So no frayed cords or nothing like that nature that that is working and we know where it is so that when we get those freezing temperatures where it does not come above freezing during the day, which means that our stock tanks will be frozen and the cows won't be able to drink, that is ready to go and plugged in so that we can keep them with plenty of water. That pretty much covers the majority of what we do in the fall for going into winter when it comes in regards to our animals. I've been getting quite a few questions lately on how we manage our herd and how we do with the cows and we keep that going on a continual basis. So if there is enough interest, I will do another podcast episode that goes into that in greater detail. And that's specifically raising your own cattle, doing grass-fed beef and that type of thing. Look for that in an upcoming episode. And if that is something that you would like to hear covered in greater detail or you've got questions on, make sure either in the iTunes reviews, you can leave me a review and ask questions there on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Melissa K. Norris. Or of course, right under the show notes in the blog post and the comment section for this episode number 117. Leave those there for me or shoot me an email. Then I can make sure that I'm covering the things that you guys are interested about and want to know more about 
and to help more people. Let's turn to the garden and our food production on a plant basis. We go through the garden this time of year and pull up everything that's spent and that is done. All of the warm weather vegetables, your beans, your tomatoes, all of those things, we pull those up. That's important, especially if you had anything that was diseased. If you had any tomatoes or squash plants here, they can get fungus really easily and that type of thing. You do not want those diseased vines or produce left to rot in your garden and to reinfect your soil for next year's crop. So it's important if you had anything that was diseased that you yank that out of your garden area. Don't put it in with your compost. Put it in the garbage if you're able to burn it. It depends on everybody's situation. But make sure you dispose of that so it's not sitting and reinfecting your soil for next year's crops. Then we pull up everything And you can put it in your compost pile. You can turn it back into the ground to let it break down over the winter months. But you want to clean up your garden. You don't want to leave it open to pests and disease. And to make sure that you've harvested everything possible that you can harvest. After we have done that, pulled up all of the poles and the stakes that we use on the pole beans, then it's time to bring in the compost to get the soil ready for our next planting season or next spring. Of course, you can bring in manure, straw, leaves that are falling down. If you bring in leaves, you may want to not do too thick of a mulch layer. It's sometimes harder for them to break down. So if you've got access to something that can break them up or just break them up with the hoe if possible or a shredder, that type of thing, that's really beneficial. If you've been cleaning out stalls, if you've got animal stalls or pins, then you can put that in. And it's really a wise idea, especially if it's hot or fresh manure, so it's not old and started to dry out and to break down on its own, that you mix that with some plant manner. So some straw or some sawdust, something so that it's not too hot. But the great thing is if you're putting it down now in the fall, You don't have any plants in your garden, usually, unless you've done some fall crops. But even then, usually the majority of the garden soil that you've used for your summer crops isn't as full. Then that will break down slowly over the winter months and enrich into the soil. So then by springtime, by the time you're planting, it's not too hot and it's safe for you to put the rest of your vegetables in as far as the nitrogen level. So that's what we do. We're in the process right now of gleaning just the last bit of the harvest. Going to bring in the winter squash and our pumpkins and all of that this weekend. And I've got just a few left of my October shelled beans on the vine that I'm letting get a little bit more mature. We're almost done with that. And so then we'll pull everything up, all of the poles, and work that back into the soil and then put a layer of compost down. The next thing that we'll do is then we'll put our garlic crop in. We'll be planting our garlic next weekend. At the time of this recording, it's just mid-November. So we'll go through the week and get all of that done, and then we'll put our garlic crop in. Garlic is great because you plant it in the fall, and then you harvest it again the next summer. So you get it in the ground, and it just does its thing, and then you get to harvest it next July. This time of year with our growing season is a great time to put in your garlic if you haven't done so yet. And as long as your ground is not frozen solid, you can go ahead and plant your garlic. You just want to make sure and put a layer of straw over it to help with drainage and give it a little bit of insulation. This is also a great time of year for you to assess how much harvest you got off of your fruit crops. So think fruit trees, 
bushes like blueberries, raspberries, that type of thing, because this is the perfect time of year in the fall to put in some of those. Now, a lot of times, springtime is when a lot of times people will put those in. But if you can put them in in the fall, it can also be a great time because they'll have time for their roots to go down before they get to the stress of summertime and usually a little bit drier, more drought conditions. And so if you're going to be transplanting or moving them, fall can be a really good time. You'll want to make sure that you water them well and keep an eye on them, especially if you have really severe temperatures where it gets really, really cold. As trees and bushes start to move into their dormancy, that can be a good time to put them in. Another thing that we do on our homestead is we use a wood stove for our primary source of heat. Our home has a forced electric air system, but one, it's super spendy, and two, it depends on electricity. So when the power goes out, you don't have a heat source. We use our wood stove. We're lucky enough to live. We have enough acreage with some forests that usually at least a few trees every year just due to nature, windstorms, you know, that type of thing will come down we're able to get all of our wood that then heats our home with our wood stove without having to go out and purchase it, which is pretty amazing. We're very fortunate that way. Another great thing though about the wood stove is I'm able to cook on it. So I've got a fire going already as a heat source. It's got a top on it that's elevated. So we've got two flat services. The one I can cook on where I need it to be hotter, think frying and boiling, and then I can move it up a little bit more off of the heat to the next level, and that's more the keep warm temperature. We have to make sure that we've got enough wood in to last us from the winter, and usually our wood, that really happens earlier than this time of year, but it's a time for you to look at and be like, okay, if I don't have enough, I need to make sure that I get more really quick to take us all the way through. Your wood, if you're new to a wood stove or looking at getting one, you don't want to burn green wood. So you need dry wood or seasoned wood that's been down for long enough that the moisture has come out of it so that it doesn't just smolder and smoke and create a ton of creosote, but not really any heat. You want dry seasoned wood. That's something we spend most of the summer doing, making sure we've got it chopped and dried and then stacked into our woodshed for the winter months. We also, when you have a wood stove, need to make sure that you clean your chimney out. Nobody wants a chimney fire. We make sure that ours is cleaned out first thing before we build our first fires as we move into the colder times where we're going to have a fire pretty much every day. Make sure that our chimney is cleaned. And then we usually do it a couple of times throughout the winter too. But definitely in the beginning of the year, make sure that that is cleaned out. And then we do some other things around the home too as we come into typically a a much wetter and colder with snow time of year. That is we make sure our gutters are cleaned out so as we start to get those heavy rains that we don't have it affecting our roof and running down the sides of the house. We don't want to have any leaks so go around and clean out the gutters. Another thing that we do is we check the seals. So on top of the roof, and I say we, and I totally mean my husband. My husband does this part, which is pretty awesome. But we check the seals around where the chimney comes up and then the different vents on the top of our roof and make sure that those don't need to be resealed after they've went through the summer heat. So we don't want any cracks where water starts to come down through the vents or around our stove because trying to remember how many years ago it was now. 
our house was built in 2006 and we had been in here probably like four or five years and we came home and there was water dripping like a whole puddle, not quite a stream, but a really strong drip from the top of our chimney where it goes through the roof. And that's because we hadn't went up and checked the seal over the months and the years of being exposed to the sun and the wind and, you know, all that fun stuff and the rain, the seal had come cracked and we had water coming down. And so we make sure this time of year that before the rains come, when everything's dry, that we go and check all of those seals around vents and stovepipes to make sure they're good, which those tips kind of apply to any home with a roof that you've got. We just like to make sure that we do it in fall because that is preceding right before we get into our really heavy fall and winter rain. And I know a lot of people get into spring cleaning, which I do too, but I dry all of our clothes, all of my laundry out on the line as much as possible. So if it's sunny out or not raining out, my clothes are out on the line. I don't even use my dryer. Usually from May through the end of October, beginning of November, I don't ever use my clothes dryer. I do use the clothes dryer when it's really, really nasty and wet out and I'm not gonna be able to dry clothes outside and I generally have too much or too many that I'm not gonna be able to get them dry on a rack by the wood stove. So I go through and do fall cleaning as well as spring cleaning. So I go through and take down all of my curtains, all of my throw rugs, all of the quilts that kind of go on the back of the chairs and couches for snuggling up time. And I get all of those washed and out on the line so that they're all clean and ready to go for the holidays and the winter months because I don't want to have to put a lot of my quilts I do not dry regardless in the dryer. Those always get air dried. But even the curtains, most of the curtains in my home we have made I've sewed myself and so I don't want the seams to come undone or I don't want them to shrink up even though usually I pre-wash my fabric learn that the hard way that when one is sewing one needs to pre-wash their fabric otherwise it can shrink if you don't do it <laughs> ahead of time if you sew it and then you wash it and dry it sometimes it shrinks so I learned my lessons there but kind of all of that stuff then it's fresh and ready to go for the holidays and as we go into those winter months when I wouldn't want to have to use the dryer anyways but I know that I'm running out of time in order to get them all dried outside on the line so that's another thing this past couple weeks that I've went through is going through every room and taking down the curtains and getting them washed and out on the line the quilts bed throws throw eggs throw pillows all of that kind of stuff that is kind of our checklist that we are working our ways through right now when it comes to getting things ready for winter and fall on the homestead. For our verse of the week, we are going to be in Proverbs, which is chapter 4, verse 13. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. And I think this is a great verse, not only for taking hold of instruction as far as learning how to do things, just in a physical sense or on the homestead or in relation to you know being self-sufficient or learning how to do it yourself but also really important on a spiritual level if you didn't catch last week's episode i shared our story of getting out of debt homesteader style my story of quitting my day job and just how much the lord has been showing and working with me and definitely instructing me and how I want to make sure that I am clinging more and more and more to his instruction and godly biblical instruction and not that of the world. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast. 
I would love to see either in the review section or the comments or reach out to me personally via email or Facebook things that you would like to learn more of, you've got questions of, or you would like me to share more of here on the Pioneering Today podcast. Again, you can go to the episode notes for resources and links, and I look forward to being with you next week.